Hello, magical beings, and welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I am so glad you're here. So the word glad does not really fit anything, but I am so grateful that you're here. I am so grateful that you're listening. I'm so grateful that you're sharing. I'm so grateful that we're on this adventure together. And if you are ever inspired to reach out to me, please do so. I love hearing from you. Even if it's just like, hey, I listen to your podcast. I would love to hear from you. Instagram DM is probably the best place to do it. And I'm at Kelsey Abbott CPC. All right. Now let's talk about this week's conversation. It was so much fun, so filled with magic, so inspiring. And so electric. It's with my friend, Lisa Wade Berry, and she promotes positive change in the world through transformative work with individuals, families, organizations, and communities. For the past 15 years, Lisa has studied energy alchemy, including training and practice in quantum touch, Reiki, and sacred sound healing modalities, and through practical application of chakra energy principles to empower positive personal and community change. She wrote a book called Real Big Love, A Difference Maker's Guide to Bring greater clarity, energy, and impact to your cause and life. And she's working on her second book right now called Courageous Co-Creation. This woman, well, she's love. She's love in action, and she's got a whole lot of play and a whole lot of adventure and a whole lot of fun. And I think you're just really going to enjoy this episode. I think it's going to blow your mind. And I love that. I think it's going to, well, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what else I think is going to happen. I just hope you love it as much as I did. So listen in and of course, go forth and be awesome. Okay. So Egypt, how many times have you been there? I just got back from my second trip. So the first time I went was in 2007. And then I was uh, just randomly encouraged, guided by spirit to go back uh, this month, last month in November. Yeah. All right. So I want to get into your magical trip that you just got back from. But what guided you there the first time? The first time, um, you know, I had had a a bit of a fascination with... um, with ancient Egypt and ancient mythology in, in general, Greek and Roman. And um, interestingly, when, when my daughter was born in 2003, it's like she brought this whole new energy into, into our home. And one day I had this dog that was like a German shepherd uh, border collie mix with the markings of, you know, traditional German shepherd. And my daughter, she was maybe one and a half years old. And she looked at the dog and she goes, Oh, that's Anubis. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? She was like, Katie dog, Katie dog's Anubis. And I, I honestly had no idea what she was talking about. So I go to Google, you know, thank God for Google and look up Anubis and learned, you know, about the ancient Egyptian God of like helping people transition through the afterlife. And, uh, happened to be a dog headed God that the markings looked an awful lot like, 
Katie dog that my daughter recognized as Anubis. And I thought, huh. So <laughs> needless to say, I got a little curious about that and then just started doing a lot of research. And um, Wait, was this like that, the start of your spiritual awakening or were you, were you already okay with a one and a half year old telling you that your dog was a, an Egyptian dog? Or God, <laughs> um, you know this was this was early on, very early on in the process. It was really when my daughter. I always kind of knew that something else was up, you know, than what I had what I had learned. And growing up in kind of the buckle of the Bible Belt, um, I just knew that what I what I knew to be true, even at like eight years old, didn't fit what I was learning in church or in school or in family conversations. Um, so I just kind of put it away for a while because I didn't have a good box. I, I mean, I just didn't have a good context to explore it. But when she was born, it was like, it just blew up out of the box. The box disintegrated and um, just all the stuff started happening. Um, you know, wild esoteric dreams with like this deep spiritual information that was coming through. Um, it's about the same time I started recognizing my penchant to feel energy and to like recognize and, and, um, just be able to work with energy. And it was around the same time that I started guided writing as well, where I just kind of shut the, <laughs> shut the asshole in my brain up, you know, <laughs> the critic in my brain, open my heart and say, what do you got? And, um, so all of that was all around the same time that I kind of look at my daughter as being the catalyst for a lot of it. Yeah, it's interesting. It feels like you gave birth to a physical body and to this whole next level of yourself, of your connected self. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. And one of the things um, that I think helped with that, I, I remember as a kid intentionally like shutting down my heart, right? I was like 11, 12 years old as a bowling alley. And I was tired of getting criticized for being a shitty bowler, right? I mean, it just, it made me cry. I was so sad. Stop being mean to me because I can't bowl, you know? And I thought, screw it. You know, these emotions are no fun. They hurt and I don't know what to do with them. So this heart thing is messy and I don't need it. So I'm just going to kind of turn it off. The feelings, emotions, I'm done. And it's like, I made a decision to live life from the neck up and be very cerebral and brainy, you know, in how I approached everything. And, you know, in high school or middle school, I was the smart kid. You know, I wasn't the athlete or the popular kid or the rich kid or any of that I was the smart kid. And so it fit. And when my daughter was born, I know specifically, I felt my heart blow wide open twice. Once was when my daughter was born and I looked down at her face and I realized that I had no idea the human heart had the capacity to hold that much love. I just, I didn't know. And it just blew open. And the second time I felt that feeling was the first time I was at the Sphinx in Egypt. And I went and I, there's a Stella in between the Sphinx, the Sphinx's paws, like right up against its chest that tells the story of how the Sphinx was uncovered. And I remember I went and I put my heart against the Stella and like put my hands up over my head. And when I did that, it felt like a bolt of lightning came through my back straight to my heart, not in a scary, not in a painful way, but it just, it was like this huge energetic charge. And it was like, it blew my heart wide open again. And walking around with an open heart 
offers access to a whole lot more than walking around with a constipated brain, you know? <laughs> and so that's, that's what I'll, I'll credit the, <laughs> the opening to. Accidental. <laughs> I'll take it. That was it. brilliant. That <laughs> quote is getting, that's going in the show notes. That's the clip we're saving right there. <laughs> right there. Um, I love this. And it's so interesting to me, having known you for like a year or so, known only the open-hearted Lisa, I would say that open-hearted actually feels like those words are not quite right for you. Because, yeah, you, you feel like you're like heart blown open. Like heart is the whole thing, not just like, oh, look at me. Part of me is an open heart. It's like, boom, here's my heart. <laughs> Follow it. Let me put There's it all on you. <laughs> yeah. You know what's wild? After my daughter was born, I don't know if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs type indicator test, you know, but some people say your Myers-Briggs type never changes. And for me, it definitely did. I mean, I went from being extreme, extreme thinker, like, like zero feeling all thinking to where after my daughter was born and especially after Egypt, I was way over on the feeling side instead. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Life, so life, life can shift us. And I think truly that that's probably who I've always been. And for some of us who come in, I say come in, who, who are born that way, um, life on earth can be kind of hard, you know? I mean, just there's so, for people who feel a lot, um, there's a whole lot of stuff to feel that doesn't feel so good, you know? And I know that people deal with that differently. I mean, I shut my heart off. I, I can look back now and go, yep, turned it off. And when those feelings would start coming up again, ooh, I think I'll eat those <laughs> with lots of carbs, pass the Doritos, you know, this is my favorite therapy. <laughs> You know, but delicious. Yeah, exactly. Alcohol or drugs, or you know, pick mm -hmm. your addiction or pick your way of buffering. Some people buffer with exercise, even you know, and that—that's one thing I've learned is my way to actually manage my feelings in a, in a productive, proactive, healthy way is through some intensity with exercise. But um, yeah, to Earth isn't for Earth isn't for wussies, you know, I mean, this, this school is hard. And for people who do come in with open hearts, um, learning how to navigate that and stay open is a challenge. And I, I, I didn't, you know, until later, and I'm grateful that I opened back up. But I think that that open heart was what I was always supposed to be, but just couldn't yeah. figure out as a as a preteen how to how to work that out, you know? Yeah. And you know, looking back at teenage years, you may have been winning, not having your heart wide <laughs> yeah. open for those. Yeah. That was a rough you might time. Be <laughs> you might be onto something. Yeah. <laughs> so Egypt, did you go to Egypt by yourself the first time? No. The first time I went with, um, it was like a spiritual group. And so, yeah, the first time was with a group. There were probably 18 of us um, in a in a tour. And so... You know, that was fascinating and interesting met some met some great people learned a lot um and then the second time it was a solo adventure so totally went by myself and and um it was a short trip just a week um but 
fascinating. All right. Yeah. Tell us more about your latest adventure. Please. So much fun. Um, you know, this was one of those things. I'm, I'm currently writing a second book called Courageous Co-Creation. And part of it is the idea of actually aligning with um, our true self, our, our spirit, you know, the divine, however we want to think about what it is that's bigger than our human self that we're aligning with, allowing the messages, the grace, the whatever, you know, allowing all of that to actually come through us and then acting on, on the receipt. And so this trip was very much one of those. I mean, I got very clearly the intuitive, not just nudge, but like swift kick in the ass, buy a plane ticket to Cairo. I'm like, whoa, okay. You know, my husband and I were recently separated. Um, Money was an issue. I'm like, you know, I'll follow directions, but hey, big guy, big gal, whoever, you got to help me figure out how to pay for this and keep me safe, right? Just Mm -hmm. help me figure it out, but you know, keep me safe. And so I bought the ticket. And then shortly thereafter in meditation, I was like literally given and here are the places that I need you to go. I'm like, okay, I can do this in a, in a specific order. I thought, I was told later things are going to change. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to roll with it. Um, but the idea of, you know, single blonde female traveling throughout Egypt by myself, you know, that, that made my family a little uncomfortable. Um, but I never for a minute felt like I had anything to worry about. You know, I never for a minute felt that. There was one point when I thought, okay, I'm going to stay in like the bigger name hotels just because maybe safety will be elevated there. And then I got the very specific message of, no, don't, don't do that. What your whole point is going over there with an open heart and connecting with people. And that's going to be easier to do in the smaller, you know, mom and pop kind of places. So stop the fear thing and just go with an open heart and connect. Like, okay. And made all the difference, just all the difference. My, my favorite experiences were the ones where it was way more, you know, one-on-one or me interacting with, with, you know, small groups or, or people who live there, you know, the residents there, as opposed to other tourists in some resort facility, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Beautiful people, by the way. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful to look at, but beautiful hearted people. The energy and the spirit is just, ah, just beautiful. If I ever get tired of being single, I'm totally going to Egypt. Yeah. (laughs) I had like four marriage proposals while I was there. (laughs) I think they were kidding. You know, (laughs) I think maybe it was just a blonde hair thing. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Now I know. (laughs) You've got a backup plan. Backup plan. I've got a backup plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so where are the places you visited? Well, I started out in, in Cairo. Um, and, you know, the first place I stayed was this little guest house that literally the, the balcony on the fourth floor of the guest house, which is where my room was, literally overlooked the Sphinx. I mean, the Sphinx was right across the street. It was right there. <laughs> so the Sphinx is there. The pyramids are in the background. And, um, nicest family. I mean, the conversation with the people who live there was just, uh, that, that was just amazing. And that was, that was one of those things where I'm on like booking.com and I see something and I get bumps all over my body and I'm like, okay, that's it. That's where I'm going. And that's how I did like this whole trip. Um, so started there the next day, flew to Luck because I was encouraged to go see the goddess Sekhmet and the goddess Sekhmet is the lion headed goddess 
who is basically um, a great protector, um, healer also. Uh, you know, I had been working with Sekhmet in my own, you know, kind of inner work um, over the course of the summer. And so to go have an experience with her, and I had a chance to get into a temple where there's this huge, um, I don't know if it's black granite, but the huge black statue of Sekhmet. And to have some one-on-one -on -one time, you know, with nobody else in that particular room with this huge statue um, and just to get to spend some, some solo time with her was, um, it did, it did a number on my third eye. I'm just going to say that. I mean, there was something energetically that was happening with that, with that statue that was, that was powerful. Um, and she's kind of known for activations and for like, you know, activating things in people who, who see her and get to spend time with her. And I, and I, I felt that, I felt that very much. So after that day, I went and spent the next two days at the, um, the Hathor temple in Dendera and, um, Hathor is like my favorite Egyptian goddess. She, she's amazing. <laughs> and so her temple is one of the better, better preserved in all of Egypt. And she's like the goddess of, of unconditional love and joy, um, fertility and childbirth, dancing and music and drunkenness and sacred sex, you know, I mean, all she's, she's a fun, fun gal, right? <laughs> so the chance to spend two days um, at her temple was amazing. And, and the connections with people there, um, you know, little kids who were there on a field trip, this little group of eight-year-old boys, I'm guessing they were around eight, they're on a field trip and they're like, oh, they wanted to take their picture with me. <laughs> I'm like, who? I am not, I, I, I don't know who they thought I was, you know, but I'm just like, I'm a big nobody. But, but there you go. <laughs> so, you know, to get pictures with these cute little kids and, and um, it was just, it was just beautiful. And then from there, I went um, to the Sinai Peninsula and uh, had, had, a little, had a little adventure planned uh, to make it to this other Hathor temple, which was on the top of a mountain in the middle of the desert. And things didn't exactly go as I had planned that day. Um, was staying at a Bedouin camp in St. Catherine, which is um, the monastery right at the base of Mount Sinai, which of course is where Moses, you know, reportedly got the 10 commandments and where the burning bush was and all that jazz. And, um, and wait, so, you're saying at a Bedouin camp, is that actually like, do they allow guests there or is this just cause you're Lisa Wade Berry, you get to stay. <laughs> the, this was actually like a, a place that I found on booking.com you know, or orbits or something. And oh, it was amazing. It, it was so Bedouins run, the facility and it's one of the ways that they make money to support you know their their community and, and their families the rooms were super simple i mean in my room there was a bed and a little nightstand and i think that was it shared bathroom um you know like a community bathroom i mean different male and female obviously but um community bathroom with showers but the community meals, everybody ate like together in, in the main house. The food was so good. It was right there overlooking the mountains. I mean, the mountains are literally right there. The Turkish coffee was amazing. But the people, oh my gosh, the people were so incredible. And they would have like outside, they had these fire pits and people would just sit around the fire pits. And, you know, some of the men would be smoking the hookah and, you know, the guests would be talking and, and 
for a single American gal traveling, I felt so safe and so welcome and so supported there. It was really beautiful. It was really beautiful. The people were so kind. Um, so yeah, but yeah, it was a Bedouin camp. <laughs> it, was, it was cool. Um, but the day that the plans didn't go as I had expected, uh, we instead, I, I had a guide for that day and instead decided to, well, when they didn't go as expected, the, my, my, the guy who was driving me that day said, well, would you mind coming to my, to my house to meet my family? And, you know, my mother-in-law can cook us uh, um, a traditional Bedouin meal. And I'm, yes, well, that, that sounds lovely. <laughs> So I got to meet his wife and, and his mother-in-law and like all these kids, like seven or eight kids. And I'm not sure if they'd ever seen anyone with blonde hair before. Maybe they had, but they were so curious and so adorable and just shy, but bold. And I, it was just such a highlight. But that evening, uh, we hiked to the top of Mount Sinai to watch the sunset. And there's something amazing about sunset over Sinai. Um, not an easy hike, you know, I, I will admit finally about a half the way up, I took advantage of the camel to take me, you know, the next little, little bit. Um, cause it was, yeah, my, my poor little stubby legs were like, Oh my God. <laughs> you know. And the last, the last probably third up, it, the camels can't even make it. So it's like steep, steps basically only they're rocks they're not steps but it's just steep climbing and um but totally worth it and when i got up there and plopped down on this big boulder to watch the sunset a cat a random cat that just happened to be at the top of a mountain came and jumped in my lap and curled up and went to sleep that is amazing (laughs) what is going and odd. I mean, I'd been asking, I'll admit I'm kind of a sign whore, you know, and so I'll ask the divine, just show me a sign, give me any sign that I'm on the right path. And I'll take a cat at the top of a mountain, keeping me warm because it was starting to get chilly, you know, sun was setting and yeah, she totally kept me warm. But, and she's a nice cat. She wasn't even an asshole. You know? <laughs> so I'm like, that, that was pretty, pretty cool. Cat in lap watching sunset from the top of Mount Sinai. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I had an opportunity to do some meditating and some, um, and some energy work while I was up there. I do work with light grids and, and different energy um, components. And so incorporating that into the meditation at the top of the mountain was pretty powerful. The energetics there. Are really What's cool. a light grid? Can you explain that to people, please? Sure. Sure. So light grids are something that, um, a lot of people know about ley lines that are in the earth. So like um, energetic lines or pathways that are actually in the earth itself. Light grids are like that, only sacred geometric shapes that form a grid around the earth at like the atmospheric level. And so, um, you know, this, this is the kind of stuff that my smart girl brain, you know, when I first started hearing about this, I'm like, if I can't see it, it's not true. This this is a bunch of crap. Can't be true. And, um, but when I travel, it's like I get divine assignments and, and just in my journaling, I will get assignments to work with certain light grids in certain ways in certain places. And often around mountains or, or sometimes the sea, but more around mountains for me or, or specific relevant 
places like Philadelphia or Washington DC or even the freaking <laughs> big dome in um at Epcot, you know, the big base or yeah. uh, golf ball looking golf thing ball in thing. Epcot. It was even guided to do some stuff there. So um I finally just decided to put smart girl brain to the side and just follow directions for a change and just go with it. And um I found like I can feel when I connect in with these with these grids. Um, and there are different grids around and above the earth and, and in the atmosphere that have different purposes and do different things. Um, but what I found is that it's possible for us humans to be like a human bridge, almost like an energetic bridge that allows that more cosmic or divine energy that's part of the light grids to actually filter through us or we can be a conduit for it to then um, actually benefit stuff in our lives, but also benefit the earth herself. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm really drawn to the light grids for is how to work with them as a way of being of service on the planet. So some people might work with them for very personal, um, you know, personal or professional benefit, you know, which is cool. Um, but I like to think about it in terms of how can, how can we access this divine energy and share it with the earth or with others in a way that that can uplift humanity and the earth itself what's your where does your connection with the earth come from hmm that's a really good question that's a really good you know it's not something i've ever i've ever really thought about um but i do know that for me when i feel most alive like really alive it's when I'm outside, engaged in nature in some way. Um, you know, even when I lived in, in Washington, D.C., you know, I was working for like environmental and conservation groups, you know, or, or working in politics in such a way that um, was supportive of earth, you know, kind of, of endeavors. Um, but whether it's water or mountains, but as far as historically, you know, past life, Genetically, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. But that that's definitely something that both in my family of origin, you know, um, and even now, that that's where I feel most me is mm. out in nature. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And when I lived in DC and worked for NOAA and other environmental groups, every mm -hmm. weekend was like, we got to get out to Shenandoah. Got I yep. To be in the mountains like I need no 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 yes. no we're not like going shopping this weekend I need to get out there I feel you yes it was either Great Falls or you know I mean there were great parks around there but getting there out were, into yeah. the mountains absolutely and and you know I think that's the only way I stayed sane living there for like 12 years was you know I, I had to get out because mm -hmm. being in a city all the time I, I would feel Claustrophobic is the only way I knew how to how to describe it, and um, it was just imperative, you know, for mental health, physical health, whatever, to to get to get out. Yeah, that's you know when I do energy work, um, you know, while I was in DC is actually when my spiritual kind of opening started, which is a little surprising because DC is not necessarily the most you know, open to, <laughs> to this kind of conversation, but um, that's where my opening started. Um, and that's where I 
first started really feeling and sensing energy and sensing energy in DC can be kind of overwhelming because it's a different sort of energy. Um, but learning how to work with that was important. Um, but that's where I also started learning about energy healing. And so the first energy healing modality I learned was called quantum touch. And that was one where you actually bring earth energy up through your body and supercharge it in your heart and then not your hands to hold that space for healing. And so working with the earth energy in that way was really beautiful to me, you know, and, and allowing that to be a source for healing energy. But then I always like to reverse it and go the other way and send healing energy to the earth as well, you know, cause I think it can be a two way, a two way street. Um, when I later learned Reiki and that was more bringing the cosmic energy down, um, I've just always combined them, you know, I combine the earth energy with the cosmic energy in the heart and supercharge it with love. And then, you know, to me, it's, it's just that much more powerful as a, as a healing modality. Um, not something I've seen other people do necessarily, but it works for me and for people I work with. So, you know, but I, I think in terms of that, both with individual, you know, working with individual people from a healing perspective, but working with the earth and working with, you know, communities and causes and, you know, all of it, how can we connect? How can we as humans be the bridge connecting earth energy and divine energy in such a way through love that can be a healing force and a lightening, you know, lighten, lighten up, you know, lightening force for, for good. Mm. That's just how I, that's just how my brain works or my heart works. One of the two. Yeah. Maybe they're the same. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. I, I love what you just said. And I also, I think you're such a great example of someone, your interests I suppose on paper they could look like they're totally random, but it doesn't feel like it to me. It's all connected and you take all these different pieces of wisdom. You're like a wisdom collector and then you make it your own and put your own special spin and energy on it. And it's just delicious. <laughs> like, Thank you. It just feels really good. Yeah. You know, th thank you. That's, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, when I started kind of waking up, I guess about, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago now, it was like I was hungry to see what all I could, I could learn, what all could I experience. And my brain is one that I tend to see dots, you know, I mean, I connect dots of things that seem disparate, you know, to other people, but my brain's just kind of a dot connector. And so I think sometimes I make pictures by connecting those dots that sometimes maybe others wouldn't necessarily see, but to be able to bring that together. Um, for example, this was one that surprised me and this is going to sound kind of strange, but about a year ago I was strongly encouraged by spirit to, um, start teaching and talking more about sexual energy alchemy, for example, and how to really access um, the energy of the sacral chakra and, and just the whole idea of our sexual energy and use that as a way to amplify energy throughout our entire bodies, to open our chakras and to even connect with the divine and with the earth using that sexual energy power. And by that, it's never ever power over people, but inherent power, our own fuel, our own fuel. 
And so I, I saw how like our energy bodies could be charged up in that way. And then the summer when my husband was dying, you know, I, I was shown how to use some of the same principles, you know, just, just the idea of directing energy. This is not a sex thing, you know, don't, <laughs> don't get weird on me here. Not a sex thing, but the idea of directing energy in a similar kind of way to help recharge his energetic system and his, what the ancient Egyptians would call his ka body, right? His energetic body. Um, so that there would be plenty of energy for him when it was time for him to actually make his final transition and, um, and not get stuck, you know, because apparently that's, that's a thing. And so that was actually something that I would have never connected those two things, you know, ever (laughs) in my own mind, had I not seen how they work, you know, and how this energy isn't just about sex and like getting off, but it's also, it's, it's about energy for all kinds of things, you know, whether connecting with the earth or with the divine or fueling our projects or our relationships or opening our heart, or even in the process of, of, of dying and transitioning to what's next, the energy matters through all of it. And that was powerful to be able to be a witness to that and to, to be able to participate in, in that. Um, it was really pretty beautiful. And I know that sounds weird to talk about someone's death as beautiful, but I, I don't know how else to describe it because it was, yeah, I, I, it, it just made me really rethink the whole death process, you know, and, and dying and what comes next and, and um, realize we've got nothing to fear. Yeah. What's your perspective on it now? Um, like what happens? Yeah, you know, and this is this at one point he was um he wasn't necessarily coherent and like he couldn't have a conversation with me. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna connect with this higher self and see if we can have a conversation. And so that's what I did. And it's like started having a conversation with his higher self and and or through his higher self and you know got the sense that he was scared. He didn't know what came next and and was afraid, was afraid to let go, was afraid to, um, you know, to just ease into it. And I was like, you want to go see where you're headed? And I, I honestly didn't know, can we even do this? I don't know. You know, <laughs> the thought came to my mind. I'm like, I'm going to follow this. I, it can't hurt. Right. And so he's like, yeah. So it's, it's, it's like, I feel like my spirit holding hands with his spirit and we floated off to wherever he was going to go next. And I think it might be different for each, you know, for, for people where they, where they go. But with him, I remember it to me, and I don't know how it looked to him. To me, it felt like pink and silver cotton candy. I I don't know how else to describe it, but like we were enveloped in that. That was the, the texture. But what I remember feeling was this sense of absolute unconditional love, complete unconditional acceptance, total peace. That was the feeling. And it was like, why would anybody ever leave this? This is amazing. You know, I mean, this is fantastic. And so we hung out there for a while and then realized that that we did need to go. I'm like, so would this be okay? If this is where you go next, would this be okay? He's like, heck yeah, (laughs) this is awesome. And, um, so that, that was kind of beautiful 
to be able to have that, that experience. And I, you know, I mean, my, my cognitive brain can kick in and start coming up with all the, you are freaking nuts things, you know, <laughs> conversations to say, but it's, just, it's what I experienced. I don't, I don't know. I've got no other context for it. Um, but as he was transitioning, it was like when we first took him off the oxygen, um, it's like, I could see him, his spirit with like these wings, you know, flying right at my face. He was like, okay, come on, let's go. Let's go. We know where we're going. Let's go. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're going to have to make this trip. I, I, I don't go with you. You know, it's, it's not my time yet. I don't get to go. Um, but then as he, as he was making his final transition, his dad who had passed away in like 2008 and who I had become aware hadn't fully transitioned, right? I mean, I, I became aware of this a couple months, several months before my husband passed. Um, he was there. Their two favorite dogs who had also transitioned, one was a wolf and one was like a, um, a lab, you know, with just their favorite dogs and a pontoon boat because they both love this <laughs> lake. And like, I see all four of them on this pontoon boat at night the boat elevates, you know, like levitates off the lake. They turn around, smile and wave and they take off into like the Milky Way. And I'm like, that's cool. You know, I, yeah. I don't know what else to say other than that freaking rocks. Um, so it was like, they both, they both went and um, that was just beautiful. It was really hard to be sad about that. You know, I mean, it was, there was just so much love and beauty and, spirit and grace all wrapped up in that, that I just, it, it was hard to be sad. It was a beautiful thing. So yeah, I've got a totally different take. Whatever oh, I was thought Lisa. I was afraid of before, I'm just not anymore. Yeah. That is gold. Yeah, that was good All stuff. that right there is magical that is, sparkly gold. That is good stuff. That yeah. you just changed so many lives. When people listen to that game changer. Um, you know, one of the things that through that process that I've, that I've come to realize he's, he comes back and he talks to me a lot. And, um, when he first started coming back and, you know, we, he had talked to me through Pandora, like music mm -hmm. choices on Pandora. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This is awesome. But okay. But one day he comes and he goes, you realize you can talk to dead people. I'm like, no, I can't. He was like, well, what do you think you're doing? I said, <laughs> I'm talking to you. He was like, and I'm dead. I'm like, yeah, but you're you. You don't, it, you don't count. I mean, he does count, but you know, he was like, no, this is a thing and you can do this. And here's the thing. You can help more people transition the way you helped me. You needed to start with me. You know, that was, that was part of the deal is mm -hmm. that this is where you needed to start, but this, this is an opportunity you have to help other people transition and to be there to witness, you know, to witness their transition or to teach others how to be there for people when they transition. And that's not something that I would have ever considered part of my path. You know, I mean, it just, but when I look at, you know, I, a lot of things that I've found on my path are things that like the goddess Hathor in ancient Egypt was connected to like sacred sacred sound, for example, or um, just a variety of other things. But one of the things she did was work with Anubis to help people through, you know, find their way through the afterlife. And so I'm like, huh, okay, I, I'm game. All right. <laughs> it really was beautiful. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying that, but that's how I feel. Yeah. 
I so this is just as you're talking, I'm feeling you like skipping down a a path in the woods, and well, I feel like your connection to Hathor. I, I really like, you know, it was a lot of lives ago, but maybe the connection is greater than just you really like her and think she's really cool. There's more there. Maybe there's more there. You know, I've had, yeah, I've had some past life um, rememberings, uh, several actually. And um, what's hard is that I don't remember the the past lives when things weren't really peachy, you know, and everything was great. And you know, carnivals at the end. You know, I remember the the shit. You know, the hard stuff. And and um, but there was one life that I remember um, where I was like a, a priestess at the, at the Hathor temple. And part of the deal with the Hathor temple then was there were both male and female, you know, priests and priestesses. But one of the things they taught there was um, the power of, of sacred sex, you know, the idea of sexual energy and, and um, you know, some talk about Kundalini, you know, and we hear about that from like Hindu traditions or India, but they actually, this whole conversation um, started even before that in ancient Egypt as well. And the idea of the coiled snake and the Sikkim is what they, they called it, which was that, that life force energy that was connected with, with like the root and sacral chakra. Um, but they taught the initiates there how to access that power as a way of drawing closer to the divine and drawing closer to truly embodying their own divine self. And um, so when you look at ancient Egyptian um, deities, how they're depicted, often they'll be depicted with like a sun disc over their head and indicating, you know, like spiritual enlightenment, but then like a cobra or, um, at there as well. And Cobra was, it was like one way of looking at it is an indication that that, like that Kundalini snake-like energy had risen up through the body, up through the energy centers um, to really connect with the divine as well. This makes so, so much sense to me because you're describing Hathor's energy as it's sexual and it's joy. It's like vitality. It's like this electric energy. It's creation, it's birth, it's fertility and all that. But that, like, joy, joy is our natural state. Yeah. And joy is our connection with the divine. When we are driven by joy, mm-hmm. and whether, like, we're, we're, like, fueling that joy with sex or creation or birth or whatever it is, like, these things are all connected. Yeah. And that's how Absolutely. we do what we're, what we're supposed to do on this planet. This absolutely wicked hard earth school. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I learned the hard way what happens when we stand in, in the way of that. I mean, I, I literally, in my first marriage, um, we had been kind of on the spiritual awakening path at the same time. And I'll be honest, it, it was it was a hard, hard um it was it was just difficult for me. And I remember thinking, and I said out loud, and I probably journaled it too, okay, I guess joy just isn't in the cards for me this lifetime. That if, if I'm supposed to be on the spiritual path with this person, if we're supposed to be doing this work together, then I just need to accept that joy is not in the cards. 
And it wasn't until I got out of that relationship that I realized, holy shit, I was so missing the whole freaking point. First of all, no deity that I want to believe in is going to say, oh, you get to be joyless this time. No joy for you. No joy for you. No soup for you. No joy. Um, But secondly, by tuning out the joy, kind of like the time that I closed on my heart, I was denying myself the actual meaningful connection. You know, it was like the connection was going through him or through the daughter. I thought up until then, I thought they were where I somehow got my good spiritual juju. And I, it, it wasn't until I got that thought out of my head that I was like, oh yeah, you see, I get to be a sovereign, a sovereign human spiritual being, whatever, having my own experience, experiencing my own power, my own connection. And it's not about anyone else. It's me and my connection. And that's going to look different than other people and their connections. And that's totally okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Joy matters. Yeah. And you are joy, Lisa. Like just, it oozes out of you. It's (laughs) really hard. I can't imagine hanging out with you and not having fun. (laughs) You might talk to my 16 year old daughter. She might have different 16. There's a lot of not fun at 16. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like if we can, you know, I teach inside a prison, two, two state prisons, um, adjunct college instructor. And my whole intention in going inside the prison is, can I leave the energy better than I found it? You know, because when you think about a prison situation, the energy can get pretty dense, you know, and going in with that intention and just choosing, even in a crappy environment, to share joy or to be joy or to at least hold space for elevated energy. And they feel it. They feel it. And they tell me that they feel it. And um, they don't even have to know what I'm doing, you know, but I think sometimes just choosing to set an intention about what kind of energy do we want to show up with? Yes. And then just being, it's like at that point, you don't even have to do anything. You just have to be. And if just purely through being, we can be a catalyst for more joy in others or more love, love in others or more hope or vitality or whatever it is in others, man, that's a path I want to walk, you know? Yes. Yeah. Let's close it out on that. I don't, I feel so much resistance to closing out this conversation, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to stick with my gun and maybe, maybe end up asking you something else. But for now, where can people find you, learn more about you, maybe go to Egypt with you, read your books, what else? Yes. Yes. You know, currently I have a crappy website at lisawadeberry.com. Um, probably Facebook is one of the easiest ways to find me just at Lisa Wayberry or Instagram. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way as far as, as connecting, you know, I am got a trip to Egypt that I'm leading in March of 2020. And, uh, the way I'm looking at it, it's really a, um, an inner journey up the Nile. And so what I, what spirit basically shared with me is that each of each of the temples along the Nile river are affiliated with a different chakra. And so as we journey from, you know, Aswan, you know, in, in 
the southern part of Egypt up through, you know, up the Nile River through these different temples, having the opportunity to clear and activate, you know, each chakra along the way, learning about both the the male and female energies affiliated with those temples, the ancient Egyptian deities, but then also archangels that are affiliated with the temples. And so very much an inner journey while having an outer spiritual adventure as well. So I'm super stoked about that. It's going to be uh, like the last two weeks of March and um, a small intimate, you know, group. I think there'll probably be maybe up to 15, 16 of us. Um, but guaranteed to be uh, transformative, definitely transformative. Um, have a second book that I'm in the process of writing right now called Courageous Co-Creation. And, you know, I'm <laughs> just finding that I'm living into that title. The minute the title came up, I was like, oh shit, this is going to be a hell of a year <laughs> you know? because I knew that it was just going to spark the need for more courage. And that's cool, you know, but um, I find it's easier to have courage when I know that I'm co-creating with the divine rather than flying solo and depending solely on myself. Mm -hmm. And so that, that journey has been really kind of cool. And the, you know, the other thing I'm really excited about right now is teaming up with, um, with Catherine Greenfield over at the Academy for Esoteric Science to bring just this, you know, an exploration in consciousness and, and spiritual understanding and, really a chance to connect in in a very practical and real way with our inherent sovereign power. You know, not looking for the guru outside, but rather learning how to really become a better personal guru, you know, to ourselves, to really learn how to trust turning inward um, for that guidance, for that wisdom, for that next step, that next direction, rather than always looking for the answers, you know, outside. So fun times there. And you've, you've just become such a beautiful model of, of this courageous co-creation. Thank you. I'm going to talk to you more often. You make me feel good about myself. (laughs) You make me feel like I can go do epic shit. (laughs) You can do epic shit. You are doing epic shit. You are doing so much epic shit. I love it. I adore you, Lisa Wadeberry. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your energy and your magic and your wisdom and all of you with my audio. Thank you. It has been an absolute joy. And I adore you too, Kelsey. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.